0: How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of English Encore. I'm your host, Nick English. Thank you all for tuning in. Hope everyone's staying safe and healthy out there. Um, today, I'm be going over my top 10 Bills and Sabres games I've both watched or been to. And then I'm going to be going into the Sabres 2020 um, off-season plans, kind of go through who they currently have under contract, some money situations, um, maybe some projected... Um, Signings that they're going to do with their restricted and unrestricted free agents, and then some potential trades and other free agents to keep an eye on in this offseason. Um, so starting off, going through my top 10 Bills and Sabres games I've watched and been to. So, the way I did this is the first seven games I'm going to talk about are games I watched on TV that I was not physically at, and then eight through ten are going to be games that I've actually been to, um, that were just great experiences for me, um, you know. I would have done a maybe a ten and ten list, but um, going to games is a little bit harder to kind of talk about just because there's only certain games that are gonna really leave a long-lasting memory on you. You know, if you go to eight to ten Sabres games a year, you know, maybe you get one game where um, someone scores a hat trick or there's a brawl or something that you can really remember. Same thing with um, NFL games. But um, so starting off, number one, the 2006 Sabres Senators brawl. Um, that's probably the craziest game I've ever watched on TV in general. Um, I remember it pretty much like yesterday's because I remember it was during, there was a storm in Buffalo. Um, we had lost power and we were kind of trying to get the game on this little crank TV in our basement and we got our power back on, um, right. Like maybe a minute before, um, Chris Neal ended up, uh, leveling Chris jury with his shoulder and then, you know, the brawl ensues minutes later, um, and that was just a crazy thing to watch just because, you know, NHL fights are kind of going down now in the NHL. They're kind of trying to stress safety, and you don't see nearly as many fights, but um, back in that era, you know, around 2006 six, seven, you know, the very physical play. Um, fights, I feel like, were more occurring, um, you know, Rob Ray and, Domi had a whole Beyond Blue and Gold just talking about the fights they had. Um, But getting to see that and seeing a goalie fight and Andrew Peters fighting Ray Emery. um, You know, the Sabres and Senators had a pretty big rivalry around then too. um, Whether it was regular season or playoffs. So that was definitely one of my favorite games I watched on TV. Um, And then next one would have to be the Rangers, Sabres, in the playoffs. Um, Game 5 when Jury scores to tie the game with, I don't even remember, like four seconds left in the game. And then Max Finneganov scores and uh, dives across center ice after he scores in overtime to give the Sabres the win and the lead in the series. And I remember that just because I was at my uncle's house. We were having a family party, and we were watching it. We were all just going nuts over it. Um, And, you know, the Sabres that time that was kind of their second real big deep run um since the 06 uh series when they ended up losing to the Hurricanes because of all the injuries um that they had and that series they ended up winning and then eventually losing to the Senators but um that was definitely one of my favorite games to watch. I always loved Max Finneganov um and that team was one of my favorite teams to have watched all time and really upset me that Breer and Drury both left but um that game just really sticks out in my mind. Moving on to my next favorite game of all time, I'd have to say 2011, Bills-Patriots, when the Bills finally beat the Patriots at home, or just in general for the first time, I was watching that game in my basement um, with a few of my friends, and you know we hadn't beat the Patriots in so long, I couldn't even, almost pretty much since I was born, pretty much we hadn't beat them, um, at least since like the early 2000s, and... You know, we were a big underdog going in that game. The Bills didn't have the best team, um, didn't have the best coach. Um, We were down early in that game. We ended up coming back, you know, touchdown Stevie Johnson. We had the Drayden Florence um, interception return for a touchdown to take the lead. And then, you know, Freddie catches a nice little pass and takes it all the way down and thinks he scored. And then they review and he's actually down at the one yard line which was honestly a blessing in disguise because, you know, at that time there was still a minute 20-ish left on the clock and you never want to give Tom Brady that much time left. So him being marked down at the 1 ended up being great because then the Bills kind of could just kneel it out or run the ball and kill the clock, ultimately leading to Ryan Lindell um, kicking the game winner and, you know, winning the game for the Bills. And I still remember Brian Mormon jumping up and being on Ryan Lindell's shoulder. Um, definitely one of my fondest memories um another game 2017 the bills colts game in the snow um that game was just insane anyone who watched that um i watched it on tv um at, at college and you couldn't see like anything you know just all out snowstorm. there were piles of snow everywhere um i had a bunch of friends that went to the game they said it was so cold that it was so hard to say there and then you see the fans on tv with their shirts off still going hard and then you know, Tyra Taylor, the quarterback time, was hurt. So Peterman was playing. Then he gets hurt with a concussion in that game. So Joe Webb ends up going into the game to be quarterback. And he ends up throwing this beautiful pass to Deontay Thompson before an overtime. LaShawn McCoy finally breaks a big run for a touchdown to keep our playoff hopes alive. And then all the Bills in the corner throwing snowballs with the fans. And it was just a really cool um, thing to see. Um, next is... The Bills-Dolphins week 17, it was the week, um, they ended the drought in 2017, um, you know, I know the Bengals-Ravens game played more of a um, factor as well, but the Bills still had to win that game, and you know, watching through that game, and just constantly flicking back and forth between the Bills game and the ravens Bengals game, just checking, and you know, the Bengals really had nothing to play for in that game, so, um, thanks to Andy Dolan and Tyler Boyd for helping make that happen. Um, I was getting ready to go to a New Year's party, and or New Year's Eve party, and we're watching the Bills game. They end up closing it out. You know, LaShawn McCoy had gotten hurt, but um, Kyle Williams ran in for a touchdown, and Tyler was able to get us through that game, and then you know, you're sitting there watching and it gets to that 4th and 12, and you just didn't think it was possible, and then You know the drought ends and everyone's going crazy and everyone's waiting for the Bills fans at the airport Um, so that was really cool to see Um, and now that we've been to the playoffs again since then it's really nice to have good Bills football back Um, number six even though we ended up losing this game the Sabres Penguins winter classic was super cool it's the first time in a long time that NHL teams have done that Buffalo is really the first one to have the outdoor winter classic game and, you know, of course, Sidney Crosby ends up winning it in the shootout, but that was just a cool event to see an entire NFL stadium sold out to watch hockey, and you could just tell how passionate um, Buffalo fans are for their sports teams, especially during that time when, you know, the Bills were kind of okay, they are mediocre, they used your 7, 9, eight, and 8 team, but the Sabres were one of the top teams in the NHL, so um, getting to see that, and you know, it was snowing pretty good, and, you know, Ryan Miller um, going up against Crosby was just always a great matchup. Um, and then my seventh one, final one for games I've watched on TV, um, was the Bills-Cowboys game this year on Thanksgiving. Um, you know, the Bills really never get to play on Thanksgiving. They don't get a lot of primetime games in general. Um, we've kind of been trending in the upward direction, but um, I think a lot of people still are doubting us this because they said we had an easy schedule and we walked into Dallas on Thanksgiving and just beat the bricks off the Cowboys. And it was just super fun to watch, you know, all the media attention being on Buffalo and finally giving the Bills some credit that they deserved. And just seeing Cowboys fans upset really made my day. Cause I'm not a huge Cowboys fan, even though I never got to watch the two Super Bowls um, in, or live that they lost Cowboys. I've always hated the Cowboys because of them or because of those games, so um, getting to see that, um, and I think that kind of helped the Bills potentially going forward here of for getting some more nationally televised games. So that was pretty big. And then final three games to talk about are games I physically went to that really just leave a good lasting memory in my mind and are, were just some more iconic games to me. Um, first one was Bills Broncos on Christmas Eve when Tim Tebow was the quarterback of the Broncos and they were making – a deep run. They were trying to really push for the playoffs and Tebow had come in and they had won, I believe they were five and one at the time with Tebow. And it was my first ever bills game. Um, I had gotten to go because my like football team had won the championship. Um, so i had went with my brother, Tony and we were sitting in the box before we eventually moved up to like maybe 10 rows up midfield watching the game. Um, and we were just beating the snot out of the, uh, the Broncos and, you know, it was actually cool because I really liked Tim Tebow in college. I had Tim Tebow Florida Gators jersey. Um, Willis McGehee, one of my favorite Bills, was on the Broncos at that time, and he was um, running around on us like crazy in the first quarter before the Bills really just took over and dominated that game. Um, that was my first ever Bills game, so that was just a really cool experience, especially on Christmas Eve. Um, just a lot of love and joy in the stadium. Um, next game was the Bills Niners Um, A few years ago was when Kaepernick made his first start after um, the whole kneeling thing. And that's kind of just like an iconic game. Like that's going to be a game that's remembered by a lot of people that, you know, that was Kaepernick's first start coming back and then he eventually finished out that season. But um, it was a very hostile atmosphere um, when they were singing the national anthem and everything and everyone seeing Kaepernick and people were booing and getting at him. And when they were announcing his name, you know, stand for your country, and everyone started chanting USA, and it was just a really weird situation, and um, being there and seeing it going on was um, pretty cool to be a part of. And then finally, my first ever um, Sabres game was Sabres Flyers. It was the year, um, it was a few years after Breer had signed with them is when Marty Baran um, was on their team. Brier and Baran were always two of my favorite Sabres um, when I was collecting cards growing up, I probably have like 20 to 25 each of Breer and Barron along with Ryan Miller, um, but it was just funny because going to that game, we were sitting, my dad had got me tickets for Christmas, we were sitting super close, um, and Danny Breer ends up scoring the uh, shootout winner to beat the Savers, and it was just funny to be in that situation because I loved Danny Breer, but I didn't want them to win. Um, and it's just kind of a sour taste in your mouth because you never wanted either of them to really leave. Um, but yeah, those are the ten games that um, are my top Bills and Sabers games that I've watched or gotten to go to. Um, sure, everyone's got their fun Bills and Sabers memories of games they've watched and went to. Just whether it's being at home and watching games to your family and friends, and you know the games crazy, or going to a game and seeing something like the Senators Sabers brawl. Um, sports is always just such a nice thing to get involved with because it brings so many people together. So it's tough not having it around now, so I wanted to share some of my favorite memories of watching and going to games. So now going on to the Sabers' 2020 offseason. So quickly, I'm just going to break down who the Sabres currently have under contract for next year. Um, so next year, currently, the Sabres have Jack Eichel at $10 million. Jeff Skinner at nine, Kyle Oposo at six, Rasmus Ristolainen at 5.4 million, Marcus Johansson at 4.5, Colin Miller at 3.875, Jake McCabe at 2.85, Carter Hutton at 2.75 million, both Rasmus Dolly and Henry Okiaru at 925,000, and then potentially next year they're going to have Dylan Cousins, their um, pick this past year, at 925,000. And then free agent wise, Casey Middlestat, Lawrence Pilot, Linus Allmark, Tage Thompson, Sam Reinhart, Brandon Montour, Dominic Cahoon, and Victor Olsen, all restricted free agents. And that's not really including um, some of the guys at the AHL level. I know Middlestat and Pilot number are down there, but they've played in the NHL for the Sabres, so I put them on there. And then unrestricted wise, we have Wayne Simmons, Michael Frolik, Jimmy VC, Zemgis Girgensons. And Johan Larson. Um, so, pretty much breaking this down. So, with all those Sabres players on the roster going into the offseason, the Sabres have approximately $40 million in cap space um, with all those restricted free agents and unrestricted free agents to potentially bring back. So, starting off with unrestricted free agents, of all of them, personally, I'm not, if you have the choice, I wouldn't bring any of them back. Um, I do have one player that they're that I'm pretty much doing a mock team for next year and going through signings I would make happen. Um, Wayne Simmons is the only one I'd probably bring back solely because, I mean, you traded for him. He's a good locker room guy. He brings that physical play that the Sabres have kind of been missing. Obviously, because he's a free agent, he's going to be coming back, and it would be on a very cheap deal. Um, I'm not paying him any a cent over $2 million. Um, I'm thinking like a one-year $2 million deal. Um, it would be good just to have him on a fourth line, especially when, you know, Dylan Cousins, potentially middle stat again next year. Um, guys like that who are still young, it's good to have that physical presence guy out there. So if someone on another team goes after him, you have Wayne Simmons there. Um, Michael Frolik, heck no, waste of money. Same thing with Jimmy Vesey. Um, I know Larson and Gergens actually both had pretty decent years, but it's just one of those I've talked about it on previous podcasts. I'm talking Sabres. You can't keep bringing in the same players back over and over and over again and expecting a different result. It's time to just move on. Um, You know, if I had to keep any of them of those three between Gurgens, Larson, and Oposo, it would be Gurgensons. But, um, you know, Oposo's contracts kind of a big deal, which I'll get into in a little bit here um, about what I think they should do with that. So then moving into restricted free agents, this is kind of tough because They have so many restricted free agents that are NHL caliber players that are kind of building blocks for potentially the future team. And it's always hard to tell what these contracts will be because of arbitration and certain players have different levels of, you know, leverage when it comes to arbitration. Like Sam Reinhart has more of a um, gripe when it comes to arbitration as far as he can kind of bend it a little more because he's, been producing um throughout his NHL career and it's actually weird because Victor Olobson has more leverage than you know some of these other guys like and Thompson even though he hasn't played a ton of games he's been around for so long that he's reached that level um where he can make more money than others would um, expect Um, I'm also doing this under the impression that Jason Botterill is going to be the GM as much as I think they need to move on because of the whole coronavirus thing and whatnot, the NHL season probably not even going to be um, happening, or if they do, it's going to be late. Um, I just feel like the Sabres are going to give him the summer and whatnot to work through it because it's going to be hard to make a change right now. When you don't really know what's going on. You kind of just have to go with the familiar face and someone who's been here. And now the guys like Vladimir Saboka aren't going to be on the roster anymore. You got rid of Bogosian's contract. Um and you brought in a few guys. You can finally have one off season to do what you want to do, make one last run at it. And then if your team doesn't make the playoffs next year, or they're struggling, you're gonna be canned basically. Um, but to me, I think Botterell's really gonna have to bite the bullet here. Um, you know, a lot of the players that he's brought in haven't worked out. Um, I love the Dylan Cousins pick from last year. I thought the Henry Okiaro deal right now looks like a steal for the Sabres and moving Nylander. But some of these other players, like Tage Thompson, really hasn't worked out, even though I think he has great upside. And, you know, Casey Middlestat just it's very hard to tell if he's going to make it or not. So to me personally, um, I would be selling Casey Middlestat and Lawrence Pilot very high on the trade market. Um, solely because you need so much help up front. As far as you need a second line center, and you need more depth forwards at the three and four, and more picks because this year's draft class with forwards is loaded. Um, I was talking with my cousin Kyle the other day, and we're talking about how, or he's talking to me about how like there was all these articles about how there's gonna be guys in the second and third rounds pick this year there are going to be studs in the NHL, and you wonder why they get picked so late. It's going to be because the first-round talent is just so good. So, and stat right now just doesn't seem like he's going to have it. I think, you know, he could definitely be an NHL player, and I think he will. I just think maybe the Sabres wasn't the right situation for him. And I would move him now while his value is still pretty high because of how young he is. Um, Botterill just kind of has to bite the bullet on that. Um, it's clear that they don't, I don't think they value Lawrence Pilot very high because when he was up here, Kruger didn't play him very much and he's a good valued defenseman. He's almost like the Sabres better Brendan Gooley when they moved him in the Montour deal. So if you can sell Middlestat and Pilot high and try to bring in another guy that's going to help you immediately just because you know Middlestat is not ready to just plug in and play at that second or third line center and, you know, you're hoping Cousins can, I think, because of his body. I believe he's six foot three or 6'4. Um, he tore it up this year um, where he was playing. So I think he's going to be able to be NHL ready where stack got rushed, and then they put him down this year. Um, so I'd sell high on those two. Allmark, I have them bring back Allmark on a two-year, $6 million deal. He was previously making $1.325, so I pretty much just doubled it. Um, Allmark at $3 million really isn't a bad contract. Um, I feel like they're just going to have him here as their starter next year. Really, really see, um, maybe have Johansson as backup. Um, Ukapeka Lukonen is obviously still a year or two away. You don't want to rush him at all. So I think bringing Allmark back would be um, good. Tage Thompson, I didn't really want to give... Um, a number on it because his arbitration hearing is probably going to be a little easier for the Sabres to handle. Um, Just for um, the sake of argument, I'm just going to slot him in at $2 million overall just because I don't know what he's going to make. Um, Sam Reinhart, I have the Sabres re-signing him at a five-year, $35 million deal, so that's $7 million per season. Um, I've made these, and then I also have um, Olofsson, resigning on a four-year, $20 million deal. And these numbers were numbers I got based off of articles from Die by the Blade where they go through um, Cap Friendly and uh, Sport Track, which kind of is track money. And goes through and details all the players of the or like that age and position who have signed over the past four years, um, takes into consideration the inflation rate and what their market value is. So basically, Reinhardt was plugged in between like 6.6 and $7.2 million range. Um, anything over eight, you're kind of just reaching for market. Then again, the Sabres kind of overpaid for Jeff Skinner, but he was a 40-goal scorer who I just think Kruger didn't use properly. Uh, so it'll be interesting when it comes time just because, you know, Reinhardt's been producing and he had a great year this year. And he scored a lot more than Jeff Skinner did, so you know Reinhardt could come in and be like, you know, I want nine million or ten million dollars, but you know if Eichel's at ten million right now, I feel like um, for what Sam brings, I feel like eight would be the absolute max. I have him here at seven just because of the market value. Um, Olipson, another guy that they said would sign really between four six year deal, and his thing was between four point five and five point two. So I slotted him right in at 5. He's a guy that going forward, he's going to have multiple 40-goal seasons for the Sabres if he keeps up the pace um, and keeps playing with Eichel or Reinhardt or both. Um, The next two that are really interesting are Dominic Cahoon and Montour um, because Cahoon hasn't produced at a super high level. um, And looking at the numbers again, I have him slotted on a um, two-year, $5.5 million deal. And then Montour is the real question mark because he's super high value, but you don't want to overpay him. So I have him on a four year, $24 million deal, so $6 million um, per season. So he's just a little bit above Rasmus Ristolainen, line in, which I think is fair. So before I start talking about the current roster, so based off of those deals that I just did, um, the lines are. That I would go with would be Eichel, Olofsson, and Cahoon. Then I have Skinner with Reinhardt on the second line with unknown for their second line center. Third line, I'm going under the impression that Dylan Cousins will be ready and he'll slot into that position. He could potentially play the second line, depending on how well he does in preseason, um, with Thompson and Johansson. And then Wayne Simmons, just the only fourth liner right now, all-marking goal. And then Daleen, Montour, Colin Miller, Henry Okiaru, John Gilmore and Will Borgan, are a couple guys in Rochester who could potentially come up, I just put them there now um, for argument's sake before I talk about some free agents. And then I want to explore four guys on the roster real quick. So Kyle Laposo to buy him out, you would save 2 million dollars this year, 1 million next year, 3 million the following and then 1 or 5 million um From 2023 to 2027, you'd only have to pay him $1 million. Buyout's tricky because you have to pay that player over the course of that time, but it gives you immediate cap relief. Um, But I think it's an option the Sabres should do. Um, Ristolainen is a guy I think that they should try to trade. They've been trying to trade him for so long, and I actually love Rasmus Ristolainen. I think he does his role well. I think they've asked him to play so many more minutes than he should have in the Sabres career. But I think patching wrist alignment with a guy like Middlestat or Pilot can go out and get you a guy like Nikolai Ehlers from Winnipeg. Um, you know, potentially a center from Florida that people have been talking about. Um, kind of to see the value you can get for that. And then free agent wise, um, you know, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. If you want to go that route and really find that number two center, he's a UFA. And a couple defensemen I'd keep an eye on are Eric Gustafson from Calgary and then Joel Edmondson from Carolina. A couple guys that you can get um, for under $4 or $5 million per season. Um, and then I also said to move Jake McCabe and Carter Hutton via trade. Um, Hutton would be a viable backup, and he's only got a 2.7 cap, and McCabe's a good third-line defenseman at 285 move those guys and try to get some draft capital for either trades or this year to move up in the draft um so after all those guys signing that I listed between Thompson, Reinhardt, Montour um the Sabres would actually be at 13 million um from their 40 and then with a Poso buyout they'd be at 15 and if they trade McCabe and Hutton both straight up for picks they'd be at 21 million in cap so that's just kind of me breaking down what I think the Sabres can actually do, I don't think um, they're going to do some of those things. I don't think they'll buy out a poso, but you never know. But I do think that you know they do want to bring back Reinhardt, Montour, Olafson, and Cahun. I think Middlestadt, Thompson, and piler are the big three question marks. Whether they're going to try to trade them or what they do with arbitration, who really knows? But it's going to be a very interesting off season for the Sabres. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Um, I'm going to have another one coming out on Saturday. Um, I'm going to do a topic of tens. So I'll be going over the 10 best men's tennis players. Um, in today's game, I'm going to go over 10 best NFL players. Currently 10 best NBA players currently and top 10, um, NHL players currently, but thank you all for tuning in. Once again, I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy. I appreciate anyone who tunes in and listens every single week. And, uh, Hope you tune in on Saturday for some good content. Thanks, everyone.